Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Seriously, what the heck? I know this is going to sound incredibly cliche, but how has it already been five years? Now, maybe part of the reason it seems like time's kind of flown right on by is because like in the middle of this whole church starting thing, there was like a worldwide pandemic, but... Nonetheless, five years has has gone by. This is pretty insane. And Grumlaw Church, I I mean this. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. It it, it is not a responsibility that I take lightly. It it is an absolute honor and privilege to pastor this church. And and Lord willing, this will be what I do for the rest of my life. It it is such a special place to be in when you know with 100% certainty that, that you are doing what God created you to do. I cannot believe that this is my job. So, so again, thank you for affording me this privilege. As has already been articulated in a number of different ways this morning, I, I wholeheartedly believe that we have not seen anything yet, that the best is yet to come for this faith community. But that being said, we are definitely going to get a little bit of a taste of what eternity is going to be like this morning as 19 different people are going public with their faith across our two campuses. That is 19 different lives and eternities that will forever be changed. And honestly, if, if that doesn't get you excited, go ahead right now, pull out those two fingers and, and check your pulse. That's right. All right. Which I also recognize uh, that maybe is part of the reason that some of you decided to kind of check things out here today. You, you heard about maybe somebody that you knew who was getting baptized through the grapevine. And if you're new around here, I just want to say thank you for giving us a shot. We definitely do not take that for granted. We, we know that like, again, stepping through the doors of a church, checking out a new place like this, it can be an intimidating experience. So, so thank you for the courage and honestly, thank you for giving us a shot here this morning. And my challenge to you would be to come back at least like three or four times. And the reason that we say that is every single week is unique. Every single week is different. And we frankly just think it's going to take at least a couple of times for you to really get an accurate feel of what we're all about here. And I'm rather bullish on this point. I just believe that if you come back for three or four times, that this will be something that you truly look forward to each and every week. I think one of the greatest promises that God offers us is that as we move closer to him, he will always move closer to us. Now, today we are continuing in a series that we began last week titled Ecclesiology, which we learned last week means the study of the church. Now, now this term ecclesiology, it actually comes from two Greek words, the first one being ekklesia, which literally translated means gathering or assembly or church. It's the greater gathering of followers of Jesus throughout all the world, throughout all the ages. And then the second half, ology, which means the study of. So again, you put it together, you get the study of the church. But what we also discovered last week is that this term has more specifically come to describe the study of doctrine pertaining to the Christian church. Now, um, I spent 30 minutes last week clarifying why we would spend nine weeks breaking down the doctrine of the Christian church. And so if you were not here last week, I would highly, highly recommend and encourage you uh, to go back and catch up. Listen to that introduction, part one at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcasts. Uh, otherwise, uh, without the benefit of listening to last week, it's going to feel like today you turned on an episode of Law and Order at five minutes past the hour, 
right? You ever done that? You're going to be swimming in the dark for the rest of the episode. But, but in short, last week we talked about the fact that we find ourselves, that is all of us, Christian, non-Christian alike, in a post-Christian world where, where no longer is Christianity the predominant religion of the day. Oftentimes, actually, Christianity, it holds a place of shame in our secular culture. We are now, when I say we, I'm talking about followers of Jesus. We're often seen as the problem, not the solution. We're often seen as a, as a threat to secularism's vision to human flourishing. All of us are being far more influenced by progressive Christianity and secular culture. We talked a lot about that last week than we are by the word of God and the historic Christian faith. So it's, it's more important than ever to make sure that, that we understand, and this is frankly going to sound painfully obvious, that, that we understand what we believe, but, but also why we believe it. So, so we're spending the weeks here, and if you're doing the math, leading all the way right up to Easter to, to get in the essentials of the Christian faith. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this hopefully gets you at least a little bit excited. I mean, you ought to be able to reasonably articulate your, your beliefs. And well, if you're new to all this, you're just kind of beginning to explore, you frankly owe it to yourself to understand what it is that you're potentially signing up for. So, so today, as we kind of dive into the meat of this series, as promised last week, we're going to be talking about God the Father. Now, the, the next three weeks, and predictably so, uh, we're going to be talking about what is traditionally referred to collectively as the Trinity, with today, again, talking about God the Father, next week, God the Son, that is Jesus, and, and then we're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit. All three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, fully God, but yet three distinct persons. Now, th this whole idea of the Trinity ha has long been a very, very confusing topic for people, both Christians and non-Christians alike. And we've actually come up with all sorts of analogies in an effort to, to better get our heads, to better get our brains around the Trinity. The, the, the most popular probably being likening the Trinity to water, right? Because water can exist as a solid, ice, liquid, as well as a gas, but yet all three are still water. Or maybe an egg, right? An egg consists of the shell, a yolk, and an egg white, yet together it is still collectively an egg. But, but, but the reality is, is this is kind of an exercise in futility. Since we worship a, a transcendent God, that, that, that is some of his qualities, they're simply unknowable. We'll, we'll never be able to completely get our heads around God. We, we can't completely understand God's existence. And, and an infinite God cannot be fully delineated in a finite illustration. And, and if you're sitting this morning in, in the seat of the skeptic and and that feels perhaps like a bit of a cop-out, I'll tell you something on the front end that is foundational as you consider following Jesus. But part of what makes God, well, God, is, is exactly that, his, his transcendence. Call it his otherworldliness. A, a big part of what keeps us as followers of, of Jesus coming back for more is, is precisely that, that there is, there is always more with God. And I challenge you just to kind of think about this in, in incredibly practical terms. If, if you could completely understand, if you could completely get your head around God, would, would he be worthy of your praise, of your adoration, your worship? I mean, wouldn't he sort of just be a more sophisticated, a more refined, a, a wiser version of, of you? See, the truth is, is well, you, you don't need that God. No, no, you need the God whose ways are beyond your ways, whose ways are beyond my ways. You need the God who isn't merely a better version of you. You need someone who is so beyond you that you keep returning to his feet for the more that he offers. Now back to, again, this idea of the Trinity. 
Around here, we worship the one true God who has always been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's eternal, meaning he has always existed and he has always been. And this is really kind of the central tenet of the triune God that you need to understand, where we draw most of our understanding about the Trinity from. God, he has made himself known. He has revealed himself to us by the Father sending the Son and sending the Holy Spirit to us. And for some of you, if you're paying attention right now, you're thinking, well, that doesn't really seem like, like you're explaining the Trinity. But, but that's only because the assumption is, is that when you explain the Trinity, there has to be this strange, almost ethereal answer that we've never heard before. When, when in reality, for our human minds, you really only need to understand that the Father sent the Son and sent the Holy Spirit, and, and all three are, are God. Three distinct persons manifested in three different ways. And we're starting again this morning by studying the Father because the Father who's who would send his son Jesus and later the Holy Spirit. Let, let's explore the sender before we explore those who were sent. Now, right here kind of on the front end uh, of this whole conversation regarding our, our heavenly Father, um, I, I want to acknowledge something. I want to address something that proves to be so problematic for, for so many different people. And I want to be careful here. I don't expect what I'm going to say here over these next couple of minutes to somehow undo the hurt or, or perhaps provide instantaneous healing. It's rather an acknowledgement on my part. And more importantly, your heavenly father, he understands this tension as well. And in fact, he actually invites you to carry it into your relationship with him. You actually see this as a theme throughout the scriptures, this idea of bringing everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between and laying it all at, at God's feet. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told, give all your worries and cares to God, all of it, for he cares about you, you who are watching right now. I want to remind you that, that God the Father didn't send his son Jesus to die for the perfect, got all my problems worked out version of you. He died for the, the version of you that is, that is watching right now. And, and it's not lost on me, but more importantly, it's not lost on your heavenly father that, that the term, well, father, for many of you who are watching right now, it, it doesn't exactly conjure up the most positive imagery. It, it doesn't spark exactly the most exciting memories for you. For some of us, and I would actually say based on, on a lot of conversations with people who are a part of this faith community, I would actually say for a lot of us, your earthly father has been the single greatest source of hurt, pain, and, and trauma in your life. And for a lot of people, it's precisely that pain and, and the subsequent wounds that, that have actually created such hesitation for you to even come walking through the doors of, of a place like this. And I want to tell you, I don't know why you have experienced what you have experienced, why it was allowed, why you were in, in so many ways that dealt a bad hand. But, but here's what I do know. You have a heavenly father who has seen all of that. And he cares and he, and he loves you more than, than you could ever know. In fact, he would end up sacrificing his one and his only son for, for you. He would have made that sacrifice if it was just you. That's how desperately God the Father wants to be close to, to you. See, our heavenly Father isn't a version of our earthly fathers. He is the perfection 
of our earthly fathers. And this applies whether you had an awesome dad, perhaps an absent father, or even an abusive father. Again, God the Father doesn't ask, nor does he expect you to have all that figured out or worked through before you go running into his loving arms. He tells you over and over and over again to bring all of that with you, but actually better, bring it to him. Cast all of your worries and your anxieties and your cares and your pain on him because, well, he cares about you more than than you can possibly know. Now, before I go any further, I I just feel led right now to to pray, so allow me to do that now. Heavenly Father, we, we, we thank you for that. We thank you that you are not simply a more grandiose or a different version of what we have experienced on this earth, perhaps even with our earthly fathers, but you are actually the perfection of our earthly fathers. We thank you that um, you don't ask us to have everything figured out before we approach you, um, before we approach the most holy God. You, you say, no, 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 bring it all with you. And uh, I thank you for the truth, even the reminder for myself this week that, again, you, you didn't die for the perfect version of Shay or anyone else. You, you died for the version of, of me that, that sits here right now. You loved me before I was even knit together in my mother's womb. Like, you just care and love each of us so much because we, we are your special creation. We are your image bearers. And so I pray, God, that we would let down walls this morning. We would let down guards this morning. We'd be open to receiving whatever it is you, our Heavenly Father, would like to speak over our lives today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, when we look at this term, again, Father, just as is true with the Son and, and the Holy Spirit, not only is said term used as a title or a name, it's also a description of that member of the Trinity's function. God the Father operates from a place of, of two primary functions or, or two primary roles. He, he is a creator and, and he is a redeemer. Now, now fathers, by nature of the fact that they are fathers, are, well, creators. We're, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts and pun intended, I couldn't resist, uh, of that topic this morning. But, but you can't really be a father unless you got to some creating. We'll just kind of leave it at that for the younger audience that's watching. Now, if you read scripture from front to back, it's impossible to miss this theme. In fact, the very first verse of the very first chapter, it, it reads this, and many of you, you've actually committed this to memory. It says, in the beginning, God, and it's talking about God the Father, created the heavens and the earth. And he goes on to create all that, that is our world, plants and trees and animals and insects and stars and galaxies, all of it. And then for his grand finale, well, he creates you and, and I, man and woman, human beings. Just a couple of verses later, we're told, so God created, God the Father created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. He quite literally places something divine, part of his divine nature inside every single one of us. It's a distinction that that we as human beings hold over the rest of creation. It sets us apart. You actually, and maybe you've never heard this before, you have been set apart for special use. Now, now, now church, and perhaps this is because, well, the creation story as told in Genesis has been so beaten into our heads. It's a bit of a staple amongst children's programs and churches, and I would say rightfully so. But because of all of that, we tend to think of God as, as, as the creator in, in almost the past tense. That, that, that is, well, that, that's what God kind of did in, in the beginning when the heavens and the earth were created. But, but since that point, he, he's in more of a watchdog. He's in more of a maintenance type role. 
Like my son Malachi, for instance. He'll build these like Lego kingdoms. And then basically he just kind of stands and lurches guard all by it, warding off bordering nations, namely his little brother Oakley, to trying to keep others from destroying what, what he worked so hard to create. But, but he's not actually all that interested in creating anything new now. He's exclusively on the defense. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. God was a creator, he is a creator, and will always be the creator. He he was in the creation business when he, yes, breathed life into you and I, and he's still in the creation business today. He, He is the God of the new. He is the creator, and he is not about to stop. We, again, we see this theme all throughout scripture. In the book of Amos chapter four, it says, for the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains, stirred up the winds, and reveals his thoughts to mankind. He, he turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. God is literally creating new ways to reveal himself to you, to all of us. He, he is on an endless pursuit after every single one of us. We're told in the book of Daniel, you might recall we did a series a while back called Thriving in Babylon, where we really walked chapter by chapter through the book of Daniel. And there's these three characters that we're introduced to uh, in that text in particular, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, And we're told that God gave these four young men, these exiles living in Babylon, an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. He created that within these men. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. If you're familiar with the story of Daniel, God would use that gift that he placed inside of Daniel to to have impact on the nation of Babylon as he attempted to follow God within Babylon as an exile. He gives, he creates in accordance with his will, giving and creating specific gifts and abilities for specific times. We just came out of that series, Winning the War in Your Mind, where what we talked about in great detail, God creating new thought patterns, where he literally renews our minds. In a passage that we return to, we find in Romans chapter 12, there it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, what's that word there? Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think transformation. It's born out of, of God the Father's creative spirit. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this is actually kind of our theme verse for these baptism Sundays. We put it inside of the journals that everybody who gets baptized is gifted. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. That The old is gone, the new is here. Nothing speaks more to God the Father's role as the creator, as does the loving sacrifice of his son. Because it is through Jesus that we are made into a new creation with that old sinful nature passing away and the new life in Christ being found. God is a creator. He is actively, as I speak right now, creating new ways to reach out to you, creating new paths to your wayward child. He wants to restore your marriage, though it looks completely hopeless to you. He wants to create beauty from the ashes of your addiction. He wants to heal your mind. Yet God the Father, the perfection of our earthly fathers, wants more for you than you have ever dreamt of. And it's in fact through his role as the creator that his role as redeemer exists. And as it would turn out, God began to reveal his redemptive nature through one man. See, all of us, and I recognize that for some of us, this might be a a tough pill to swallow. 
We have what scripture would refer to as a, as a sin problem. Now, there's likely something inside of you, especially if you're new to this whole church thing, that, that kind of resists that that, that, that pushes back on that, if not simply for the weight of a word like sin, because it just feels like, oh my gosh, it's so heavy. But, but, but we all have this nagging sin problem. That is, we, we can't get out of our own way. We all, both Christians and non-Christians alike, we, we routinely make decisions that, that not only undermine the, the people around us, well, they undermine us. They, they undermine our, our own futures. So scripture would tell us, well, that's, that's sin. And, and when we each sinned, we, we fractured our relationship with our holy God. And in this moment, and we talk a lot about this around here, and we often overlook this little detail. In that moment, when we screwed up, when we fracture our relationship with God, God, the Father, he had, he had a decision to make. Do, do I allow my most prized creation, that is you and I, to destroy themselves, or, or do I get involved? Or, we, we could put it this way, he had to ask, do I redeem them? Do I devise a way not to pay them back? See, see, that's retribution, and it's not the same as redemption. Retribution, and typically this is where our primal instincts take us, that that's kind of what we deserve, that that's all about paying them back. No, 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 the question that God asks is, is do I redeem them? And God, through, through an outpouring of his role as creator, he, he chooses the, the redemption route. And as already alluded to, God the Father, he, he gets to work redeeming the, the, the human race through exactly one man. You've probably heard of him, Abraham. In fact, actually, more specifically, it begins actually with, with three promises made to this one man, Abraham. And I would add three rather absurd promises. I mean, they could have not sounded more outlandish. I mean, the first one was, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and again, for Abraham, doubt crept in because he's going, I don't even have any descendants. I don't even have any kids, which back at that point in history was a big, big deal. Him and his wife were unable to, to have children to this point. The, the second promise was, I'm going to make your name great. And again, he's going, my name's not even going to be carried on because I don't have any kids, but yet here we are thousands of years later, and how many of you have heard the name Abraham before? And, and then the third, and I would add the most absurd, all the people on earth, Abraham, will be blessed through you. Did you know, this is sort of interesting, that, that all three major faith traditions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, that they all trace their roots back to this one man. And, and despite the doubts that inevitably crept into to Abraham's mind, that despite the outlandish nature of these promises, in Genesis chapter 15, we're told, Abram, his name before God gave him the new name of Abraham, Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord, God the Father, counted him as righteous because of his faith. Redemption, redeeming us, re redeeming the human race, redeeming God's most prized possession was officially underway. Righteousness or a right standing with God had been credited to or applied to Abraham because of his faith, because he believed. 
because he trusted God. Now, initially, this was really only good news. It was only redemptive news for, for a very specific group of people, the, the, the Jewish people, the Israelite nation. God began redeeming a, a remnant. As Isaiah the prophet puts it, he says, and yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. It's a testament to, to God as the creator. But then he shifts to, to, to God as the redeemer. He says, don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. Yes, there's an acknowledgement on the part of the prophet Isaiah here as God the Father is creator, but here and elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, that first half of the Bible, it's also an acknowledgement of the special covenant relationship between God and his chosen people, the people of Israel. He's saying, have mercy on us. Look past our sins because we are your chosen people. We are your prized possession whom you have redeemed. Isaiah is acknowledging God's redemptive nature. You, God, are our redeemer. And if this right here is kind of where the story ended, I'm guessing all of us, by nature of the fact that, to my knowledge, nobody watching right now is an Israelite. I don't think there's any Jewish people watching if this is where it ended, well, we, we would be in trouble. Redemption, it started with Abraham, the Israelite nation, but, but it was brought to its completion with, with another man, God's son, Jesus. See, God had established a covenant relationship with his chosen people, but, but the problem is, well, the Israelites, they weren't holding up their end of the deal. And before we judge the Israelites, and, and frankly, it's really easy to do that as you read through their, their journey in the Old Testament. Before we, we go there, we need to kind of acknowledge that we probably wouldn't have done any better. So God, again, rather than, than punishing the Israelites, he instead continues in his redemptive role. In the most audacious display of love that this world has ever seen or will ever see, God the Father not only reveals his role as redeemer to the Jewish people, but to all people. He willingly offers up his son for your sin. And, and, and the terms of this new covenant that he introduces, well, he actually already laid the breadcrumbs for this with, with our buddy Abraham. Remember, and, and Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Just like that? He, he's restored, he's back in relationship with, with God because he trusted, because he believed, because of his faith. That, that, that's it? And God the Father replies with, well, yes, that's, that's right. For God the Father so loved the world, that is you and I, that, that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, that word, believes in him, has faith in him, trusts in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. It can't be that simple, right? But, but God, our our Heavenly Father says it is exactly that simple. These are the new terms for the new covenant. Believe, place your trust in my son. That's it. Redeemer.
Church, we tend to take this for granted. But this was a radical new idea. And it is in fact what would get Jesus killed. Because you see, the Jewish people were so hung up on the exclusivity of redemption. It's ours. We are a redeemed people. It's not for the Gentiles. It's just for the Jewish people. And God is the perfect exercise of his creative nature says, nah, it's, it's about to be for everyone. <laughs> because I am the, the redeemer. Because I, God, am holy, the sins of my image bearers, well, it has to be paid for. Not because I'm vindictive, but because my kids matter to me. But what you and I do is, is important. And, and if our acts are wrong, God can't simply ignore them. The, the price of rebellion against God is, is death because God is the source of life. And so to be cut off from him is to be cut off from life itself. And, but because God is in the redemption business, because of his intense love for you and I and willingness to send his son as the perfect sacrifice, now everyone, but by simply placing their trust in, in Jesus, can have that right standing restored. Church, this, this is really good news. <laughs> see, see, this used to be sort of exclusive. It, it was for a certain group of people, but God, through his role as redeemer, has opened this up to all of us. Because of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, we are invited to actually directly approach our heavenly Father, the most holy God, our creator and redeemer. In fact, you might recall a while back we did a series called Real Prayers for Real Life. And Jesus, the Son of God, he, he invites us quite plainly to go directly to our, our heavenly Father. You remember these words? He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then, then your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus himself invites us to go directly to God the Father. He's asking us to reflect on our heavenly father's nature as creator and, and redeemer because think about it, it is through that redeeming love that we even know him, that, that, that we're able to even relate to him as, as our father. Throughout scripture, actually, in fact, we see Jesus refer to, to his heavenly father as, as Abba. And most of the times, and I find this very interesting, in our English Bibles, we don't even bother translating that Aramaic term. And that's not an accident. It's not because they forgot it. It's because the truth is we don't really have a word that captures the level of intimacy that that original word Abba intended. God the Father, who is both infinite yet intimate, our creator and our redeemer. And the good news, and some might say, well, the best news that that same intimacy that Jesus himself shared with his father is available to you. 